Georgia's DBHDD has an urgent health warning. One of every 10 counterfeit pills contain fentanyl, a powerful and very deadly drug. Pills from friends or dealers are unsafe, and one pill can cause an overdose. More info at opioidresponse.info. I'm very glad to have you all back with us again today for Political Rewind. I'm Bill Nygut, uh, part of the new five-day-a-week Political Rewind. For this first week, I can't say it enough. You're used to having us uh, do the show today, Wednesday, and then come back on Friday. Not any longer. We'll be back with you live tomorrow, uh, starting that five-day-a-week schedule. And I hope you'll all come along with us for that ride. We're very excited that um, with all there is to talk about, with this explosive political year that's upon us, Uh, that we have an extra day to uh, share with you the analysis of the great panelists who do this show with uh, regularity. Uh, Some of them are here today. Greg Bluestein, political reporter for the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. If you see a front page of the AJC that doesn't have Greg Bluestein's a byline on it, you're reading the wrong newspaper. Hi, Greg. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're glad to have you here. A little later, you spent some time watching Kelly Leffler during the holidays go make the rounds in the state. And later in the show, I want to ask you how you uh, felt about how she handled herself out there. We'll get to that at some point. Uh, Next to you, and if you're watching on Facebook Live at GPB News, you can see her there, Dr. Audrey Haynes, who is a political science professor at the University of Georgia and who runs the Applied uh, Political Science program there, which helps train people uh, for careers in politics. Um, I want you to know, Audrey, that uh, after getting a new T-shirt from the Applied uh, Political Science program, it's been my go-to exercise shirt for the last uh, couple of weeks. Thank you very much. Well, and can I tell you that the <laughs> highlight of the season this year for our um, visiting practitioners was to have Bill come at the yeah. very end and do the closing yeah. talk. Yeah. And at one point, like Superman, he 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 raised the shirt, and there was the Applied Politics T-shirt, yeah. and uh, we were all very excited by that. He, so didn't, thank he you. didn't rip it. Yeah. Well, it was a nice shirt he had over that one, yeah. so we, we were we we're not going to rip. Yes, it, well, State Representative Mary Margaret Oliver, who represents uh, Decatur, Democrat from Decatur. If I was the highlight of the season, then Audrey had a pretty bad semester. No, that is so say. not true. Oh, I think, I'm sure those students loved it. They did. You're, thank you for uh, being in here today. You're getting set, obviously, to start the session on Monday. But you made a long drive to get with us I today. I started Thank at you. Tybee Light this morning, and I'm oh. happy to be here. Well, well, we're glad to have you. And Heath Garrett's back with us. We haven't seen you in a few weeks. Heath, Heath, of course, uh, worked with Johnny Isaacson for a very long time, at one point as chief of staff uh, for Senator Isaacson. Uh, and, and, of course, you're one of the best-known behind-the-scenes political consultants in Republican politics. Uh, how does it feel, Heath? Uh, to now have uh, Johnny uh, in basically retirement from pol- from public life uh, or from elected office. Well, it, being completely honest, it, it's surreal. Yeah. It's surreal. My entire adult life, I met Johnny, started working for him when I was at the University of Georgia doing applied politics and uh, have been with him ever since. And we, we were meeting this morning, trying to plot forward. He, he still wants to be relevant. He still wants to be a positive influence on political civility and uh, – and, and do what he can do, uh, given what he's trying to deal with with Parkinson's. Yeah. Is he feeling the, surre- the surreal nature of this? I think it really, over the last couple of weeks, we've had a lot of conversations about this is this is real. Yeah. And he was, as a real estate salesman, a chief executive of that office, and as a senator, he's been working 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There were no Sunday afternoons off in either politics or in business. And so... This is a completely new world for him. Yeah. Um, By the way, thanks to you, Heath, we were able to do a long sit-down conversation with him that is on our website. If you want to go to uh, GPB News' website and look for Political Rewind, you can find that interview. It was really a fun conversation because Johnny and I go back like 35 years and had a lot to talk about. So people might want to check that out if they haven't had a chance. It to was one of the most substantive interviews of him at the end of his it career. It was fun. It was a lot of fun. All right, let's get to work. Greg Bluestein, I'm fascinated by this, and I can't wait to bring the rest of the panel in on it. We're going to start 
with a congressional race because we have not been focusing on congressional races because of all the other news, all the Senate race news, the impeachment news, all of that. So here's the starting point today. Um, In 2018, Democratic candidate Carolyn Bordeaux came closer than any other Democrat running against an incumbent to almost beating Rob Woodall, the Republican who serves in the Senate, in the House from the 7th District. She came within 500 votes. It was the closest U.S. House race in yeah, the nation. in the country. So she <clears throat> almost, she very quickly announced for re-election, and I thought she was probably the insider for the job, but suddenly you have a couple of really uh, a key uh, former Democratic leaders changing their allegiance. Max Cleland first, and now more recently, and perhaps even more relevant, Roy Barnes, who backed her two years ago, now switching to Zara Karinchak. What's going on? And, and Senator Karinchak is a state senator from Gwinnett who flipped the district uh, back in 18 as well. So she she's a freshman state senator um, who, who was somewhat a surprise when she entered that race, uh, a, a military veteran who used to serve as as, as uh, then-Governor Barnes as deputy executive counsel. But what, what you're seeing is a sign that at least among some establishment Democrats who were initially supportive of Carolyn Bordeaux, that you know, they think that, that Senator Karinczak can be a more effective opponent because they think a lot of Democrats see this as a as a almost not a lock, but as a as a giant pickup opportunity. Well, and of next course, year. I'm sorry, it is an open seat now. You're yeah. not running against Rob Woodhull. There are going to be some formidable Republicans, uh, one of whom will emerge as the Republican candidate. So perhaps that weighs into this equation. And a lot of their main argument against um, Carolyn Bordeaux is that she should. They they feel like that she should have won it back in 18. Yeah. Um, yeah. And although like it was a, you know, it was a tough, tough race and she got very close, but a lot of them, a lot of the supporters of Karen Chuck and not just her, but also um, Nabila Islam and state, state representative Brenda Lopez mm-hmm. um, say that those, those candidates would be better alternatives to Carolyn Bordeaux. So um, we do have, this is by coincidence, Mary Margaret, but you have been you have been a backer of Carolyn Bordeaux for some time. You're very enthusiastic about I'm very her. enthusiastic. So how do you feel about, about what's happened here? Um, I think uh, I feel badly about it. Uh, Zara is a star is an asset for the state senate. She made a good start in the state senate. There were a lot of uh, resources, win list, we show Democratic Party that went towards her election against a very strong opponent to win that Senate seat. You don't give up that kind of Senate seat easily. When you say there are a lot of people moving to her support, it's Roy and Max, and and that means Roy. Okay. And I hate to be such a cynic about this, but there's a lot of consultant activity around Zara. What does that mean? It means that they want to see another race where they can make some money on it. I'm being kind of negative about that. but I. I'm a big fan of Carolyn Bordeaux. She's worked like crazy for two years. She's never stopped campaigning. Um, I think that she's built a support on the ground, and I think uh, she has a very strong opportunity to flip that seat. Zara has a bright future. I'm for her. I work for her. I liked her. I gave her money in her state Senate race. But this is distressing to me as a long-term advocate and funder and campaigner that we're seeing uh, this kind of flip uh, from races. You know, uh, Heath, one of the things that Mary Margaret said that that I think is worth discussing is Karen Chak was one of, what, six Democrats who picked up seats in Gwinnett County and really helped move the House. I mean, the the legislature closer to having some more power for the Democrats. But um, and so there was a lot of surprise when, as Mary Margaret says, she won this race out of nowhere against a good opponent against a really good opponent and now she's you know abandoning that seat or potentially abandoning it to uh, try to win this uh, congressional seat I'm no expert on it, but I call this the AOC effect, right? Uh, they see these very young national figures in Congress with using social media, uh, getting all kinds of celebrity status. And it, the temptation now, – now, what we could all sit around the table and talk about is actually you can probably assemble more power as a state senator in Georgia over a couple of years than you can <laughs> as number 435 in the U.S. House. Ask you know, Brandon Beach about his decision. Ask Brandon and others about this. However, that's hard for a young person to do. But 
But yes, look, we as Republicans are not going to knock the fact that there's a nice, brutal Democratic primary going on in the 7th <laughs> Congressional <laughs> District uh, at this time. I do think that's advantageous to us in potentially uh, uh, doing that. But I do think it's the AOC effect. They're seeing these young uh, attractive women reach national prominence real quick and saying, okay, I want to go do that as well. And I'm not sure that's a great discipline for younger candidates when they win a tough seat like that. And that gives us a chance in Gwinnett to compete again in a state Senate seat. So I guess we're pleased with it. Audrey? And I would just add, too, at this point in time, we want to look at um, other types of support rather than just endorsements. But even if you just compare endorsements, Boudreaux has a significant number of you know high-level uh individuals in politics who are endorsing her. She also has much more money at this point in time. She yeah. has more PAC money, more small donors. And and I will tell you, I had a personal experience with um, Karen Shack myself. She called me on the phone. She, she was actually calling my husband, um, asking for money. She's very articulate, yeah. very good. And one of the things that I think we'll see in the campaign is when other people perhaps were, there were people who were stepping up in 2018, but Boudreaux was one of them who took that risk without a lot of, you know, political experience, got out there. Um, and then Karen Schack did that too in the state legislature. But people will be talking about why are you leaving, especially in this state when we need you so much in that state seat, which you could win again. Yeah, I, uh, Greg, I, and I'm glad that several of you have already made, made clear something that's important. It is true that we just have these couple of Democrats who have switched allegiance but, the but in Roy Barnes' case, particularly, it just was surprising to me. Bordeaux, by no means, is on the ropes in this race. She's always been, as I was, a prolific fundraiser. She really knows how to raise money and has a pretty good network. I yeah, think. and she came out with her fourth quarter um, a statement. Uh, she was the first of all the candidates, some Republicans and Democrats, to come up with that statement. And she raised about $300,000, which is a sign that she's very confident that she'll probably lead the pack um, if she came out, you know, guns blazing on that one. Well, among my group of women funders or in touch with women funders, they're all kind of doubled down for Carolyn Bordeaux right now. We feel committed to her. And she is a great, uh, she has a great resume to me. Mm -hmm. uh, Zara does too, but Carolyn's been working significantly hard on that congressional seat for two and a half, two yeah. years now. Yeah. That that yeah. means something to people on the ground and to others of us. And when you say she never stopped campaigning, you're right. Because she never stopped. The, she formally announced the day that, that Congressman Woodall said he was retiring, but she she was already out there making it very clear to everyone who would listen that she is she was going to have a comeback. Better. You know, I think that's interesting uh, because I, th I saw this brief window that we might be able to get her in here as a panelist for at no. least a few shows no. <laughs> because she isn't interesting person. And of course, that closed very <laughs> quickly. So he... Yeah. And, and look, Rob Woodall's a good friend. And, and as incumbent, I don't. I think he did not see the wave coming. And a lot of what happened in his campaign said, so we're not going to see the 7th Congressional District as Republicans. Uh, the fact that she immediately announced and was a formidable opponent, I think, was a good wake-up call for us as Republicans out there. So I don't want to get lost in this. We have a couple of great candidates. There may be eight yeah, or nine running. Talk, talk to us but, about what you, how you think the Republican side of that race is shaping up. But, but you know, I think, look, State Senator Renee Unterman, uh, you know, one of the most powerful women in the Republican caucus in the state of Georgia with a strong voice, uh, I do believe, is the political front runner at this time because of her base, her name recognition, the kind of ferocity with which she campaigns. But we also have a self-funding businesswoman who's uh, entered the race, and we have two or three other people who don't fit the traditional kind of white male typing of Republicans that I'm excited about up there as well. So I think that there's going to be a healthy Republican primary, uh, and there's a good chance that we as Republicans may nominate a, a woman uh, to help, uh, I think, stem this kind of argument that we're not open and, and growing the party. Yeah. Well, and I would argue um, and make a point, too, with uh, uh, Unterman is that she has uh, about the equivalent of cash on hand that uh, Carolyn Boudreaux has right now. Mm -hmm. um, she's a she's a wealthy woman, too, uh, who works for a very large, substantial company. But, you know, if you're looking at that Republican um, uh, primary, Home Depot has a great brand in many ways. And, and Lynn 
has the ability to. Lynn uh, Hamrick. Lynn Hamrick was right. Yes. And, and, you know, I think there'll be some competition because Unterman has some negativity that goes along with her. Um, and that's going to come out uh, and, and maybe perhaps divide some of those Republican voters. That's why the session is going to be so, so much fun for us as observers <laughs> because you've got. Both Zara Karinschak and Renee Underman are both serving as state senators. Yeah. Who both of them have made it very clear they're not stepping down, so they're yeah. going to continue to run for higher office while while kind of using the the platform in the state senate to promote their candidacy. Well, that's you know that's a really interesting observation, Mary Margaret. Session is going to be fun for lots of reasons. Yeah. You, well, of course, but just in terms of that alone, how do you how would you how do you manage that if you're one of them? What's the advice you give? Uh, to uh, your Democratic uh, 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 colleague there, Karen Shack, and and how do they maneuver with each other? Well, on our side is Brenda Lopez too, who's also right. a rising That's right. star. That's exactly we shouldn't right. we shouldn't ignore the fact that she has an yeah. interesting opportunity. We're all playing uh, over our you know handicapping a race that we didn't see coming at right. all. You're right. Nobody saw what happened in the northern suburbs, and so everybody's trying to think that's going to happen again in a stronger way, which I think it may. It'll be fun to watch Senator Underman and Zara. They are both uh, strong, yep. uh, vocal, uh, not not passive, not shrinking violet kind of people, and it'll be fun to watch. They're, the Senate always has, and I can say this because I was one of them, a third of the people in the Senate are always running for another office. Mm-hmm. So Zara and Unterman are going to be doing uh, messaging on a daily basis as candidates. And the real work of the Senate, the real work of the Senate is going to fall to some others. And that's what I'm curious about as we go towards a session where the budget is going to have a new uh, priority and a new set of intentions on it. As long as we're talking Congress, uh, congressional races, what a quick nod, Greg, to the 6th District race. We haven't talked about that in a very, very a uh, long time. The, the Republicans are virtually clearing the field for Karen Handel to be their candidate. Lucy McBath had some visibility as a member of the uh, Judiciary Committee during the early stages of impeachment. Um, where does that race? How's yeah, that I mean, race shaping up? It looks like a rematch. Um, I, I don't see any other alternative than a rematch between um, Karen Handel and Representative McBath. Um, so it's going to be sort of a replay of, of 2018 in a way because every other Republican primary opponent has either left the race, like Brandon Beach, the state senator who, who decided uh, a few months ago not to run, or um, is opting for another race. And that's Marjorie, Marjorie Taylor Greene says she's running for the 14th district, which is literally two districts <laughs> over. It's a, it's in oh, northwest Graves. Georgia, um, even though she lives in North Fulton. The, right. The, the iron of being, Tom being of course, <laughs> that John Ossoff had his head handed to him by Republicans for running for the, that seat from outside of the district. He, he and now Marjorie Taylor Greene, yeah. she's going to go even further to commute to that uh, district. Audrey, I thought that... Uh, one of the interesting things that uh, he's talked about here is this notion that running, and Brandon Beach did learn this lesson, being a powerful state legislator in many ways is much more important pretty cool. than being a backbencher freshman congressman. Now, if the Democrats control, retain control of the House, um, then fine, the Democrat who wins the seventh, if, if a Democrat wins the seventh, if Lucy McBath's reelected, they'll have some leverage. But man, if they're in the minority, oh my gosh, that's just really a, a, a feeling of futility and invisibility. Yes, and I would agree because one of the things I've learned through applied politics and all of the visiting legislators that come in state and, uh, and otherwise Man, they do a lot of work. And at the end of the day, uh, about, and Mary Margaret Oliver can attest to this, uh, maybe 90% of what they do, they do together. They solve problems. They do have some issues that create some schisms. But they leave after their session, and they've accomplished some things. And even in, if, the legislature, in the legislature, as opposed to Congress, but, yeah. But in Congress, even if um, the House Democrats maintain their majority and the Senate stays in the hands of Republicans, you can pass 400 bills and nothing gets passed. I'm very uh, impressed with Congresswoman McVass beginning. Uh, not many uh, in the freshman class of Democrats have their picture made by Annie Libowitz multiple times and in Vogue and in New York Times and all of that matters. 
Her personal story matters. Mm. Her start on the Judiciary Committee and other prime uh, opportunities she's been given. The passage of a bill out of the House on gun legislation brings attention to the her and to that race that gives her enormous strength, in my opinion. What is Karen Handel going to say about guns? What is she going to say about choice that is going to be in any way attractive to the 6th Congressional District? Well, and I think we've got a good opportunity in the 6th because Lucy McBath ran as kind of a center left, you know, very moderate, no voting record outsider against Karen Handel in a year where all Republicans in the state of Georgia underperformed. And Stacey Abrams did a great job of overperforming in the suburbs. So there's no excuse for us as Republicans not to see that coming this time. Mm -hmm. I agree that we're going to have maximum Democratic turnout. But the key is for Karen Handel to do a better job of getting her message out, uh, defining Lucy McBath for the vote she has taken, including a controversial vote in support of impeachment uh, for a number of people in that district. That's still a 50 52 percent Republican district if everybody votes, right? But if we can't motivate Republican voters and center-right voters out, then it's going to go back to a, you know, 300 to 1,000 vote right. margins. I, I give Karen a good chance. All right. Let's, uh, before we take a break, let's take on one other issue. Uh, Greg Bluestein, you've already mentioned Carolyn Bordeaux reported her fourth quarter numbers. That means the last three months of 2019, and she's doing pretty well. We're pretty eagerly awaiting the Democratic Senate candidate uh, figures, uh, especially from Teresa Tomlinson, I think it's fair to say. Uh, but in the meanwhile, the Ossoff people got off the mark on this very quickly because they were glad to say they'd raised a million bucks uh, in the last uh, three months of 2019. Yeah, and they're, they're trying to show that they have a, a strong financial uh, bearing here going in. They're, he's trying to present himself as the front runner, yeah, uh, and showing that that by raising six, seven figure hauls the last two cycles, he was about eight hundred thousand uh, in the first three weeks, uh, the last reporting period, and now a million bucks or so um, this this latest cycle. That he he has the financial wherewithal to run a campaign. He's very particularly pointed out uh, the fact that he had 8,000 donors who did not back his 2017 House race. That was the record-shattering financial, you know, crazy $60 million race, um, who did not back that race but are backing him now. So he's showing that he can he can attract new donors. We don't know how the other candidates are doing quite yet. Uh, you know, when, are we, when do you imagine we're going to start seeing those? We don't no, know. It's not Is due the 15th? until the 15th. They're not due until the 15th, but okay. often we see them before. Yeah, especially if, you're in, if you've got good numbers. How much of John's money was a, a move from the last race to this race? So um, his first quarter reporting way back in October, um, he reported about one point one or one point two million dollars of that eight hundred thousand was raised. The other three or so was transferred. But this is new money. This is new money. Though. Yeah. The second round is new money. Audrey, um, I suppose it. it we're going to be looking particularly at Teresa Tomlinson mm -hmm. uh, because she has. I don't know whether it's been fair of us or unfair. I won't try to make that judgment. But we certainly have talked about the fact that uh, since she was the first one to jump into the Democratic side of this race, her fundraising numbers have not lived up to the expectations I think many people have of what a leading candidate should be able to do, especially when you've got David Perdue out there, you know, his numbers uh, are more than what all the Senate, the Democrats so far have had combined. So are we going to be paying particular attention to what Tomlinson's able to do? Well, of course. I mean, you do. It takes money to run a campaign. It takes money to pay for, you know, professionals that can help you do the things you need to do and get your message out, run your headquarters. And it's interesting. I mean, but it's not unexpected in some ways, right? Because if you think about Ossoff, he has all that free media that he got from running and what a contest it was, right? Everybody was paying attention. Um, Teresa Tomlinson is coming out of a, a, a city as a mayor where those who know her know of her reputation and are impressed with her ability. But the truth of the matter is a lot of people don't know who she is, right? Which is one of the reasons, Heath, I think it's fair to say that the Tomlinson campaign has been cranking out one endorsement after another for months and months now. It is also true, I think, and you'll correct me if you think I'm wrong, that it's, it shows us that coming out of, of, of an area outside of Metro, being from South Georgia, essentially, in Columbus, is a harder road to hoe. Look, there's no question. As a son of South Georgia, but as a student of politics, it makes it more difficult. And the fact that John Ossoff had 
$60 million spent on television with his brand and his face, that, that doesn't go away overnight. It goes down. I uh, do you think we're seeing a modern campaign, John Ossoff, national money, television, radio, all new media versus an old-fashioned campaign where Teresa's going around the state collecting endorsements, which will matter uh, outside of Metro Atlanta more so than inside. And we're going to see if those two can compete with each other in this primary. Mary Margaret? I'm excited for Teresa's chances. I really am. And the <clears throat> You've endorsed the, her? I have. That's what I I'm thought. I'm one of those okay. long list of okay. people who, so. are, who are working for her. And particularly in the last 48 <clears throat> hours of our national attention on Iran, you're talking about a mayor's worked with five generals in the fifth largest military base on the planet and who has a security clinics. I mean, you're talking about somebody who has a significant role in relation to that military history and asset of Georgia and somebody who is known throughout the 500 mayors of Georgia. You know, Audrey, if I ever have to run for the position of host of Political Rewind, I want Mary Margaret Oliver (laughs) out there working on my behalf. (laughs) And and one thing I'm really going to be interested in watching is all the attention, and we mentioned earlier, has been on Kelly Leffler and been on that open seat. And so I've been talking to some of the candidates for the last few days saying, basically, sorry, I haven't been covering as much as as the Purdue race as the the Kelly Leffler situation because it's been, you know, this brand new senator in in a wide open seat. So how they're going to try to break through the din and, and, and raise cash and get attention and, 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 and focus on their campaign. Greg said, you're going to get the last word before the break, uh, Audrey. Greg said such an important thing. It's not just that first Senate race, what we're calling race number one. It is the congressional races. It is even legislative races. The president. Every, the pre- everything's being buried by impeachment, now Iran. Uh, it, it's just harder to get your message across right now than probably any time I can think of. Yes, and that's what I was going to say, the timing, yeah. you know, with the Mayor Tomlinson. You know, at, at another point in time, I think her, uh, you know, the the opportunity to run would be better. But right now with so much going on, the air is just sucked out. Yeah. And two, she is coming from South Georgia. And right now, if you think about those resources – she has to appeal to people and gain support who might are so partisan right now. There's so much partisan polarization. It's a lot harder for her to reach, I think, the Democrat she needs to and independence. All right. We got to get to a break um, because we we did start the show intentionally talking about races we haven't covered. That does give us an opportunity to say a few words now about Kelly Leffler, Greg Bluestein. I do want to talk about the time you've been spending with her as she's tried to Uh, get out around the state and talk to small groups of people about who she is and why they should feel comfortable with her. We'll do that after we stop for these messages. My name is Daimundus Papadopoulos. I am the medical director at Metroderm. Metroderm is a dermatology slash dermatologic surgical practice in Atlanta with 18 providers. I wanted to participate in underwriting for public radio. The integrity of what I was listening to made me feel like I wanted to be part of that message. And that represented us. And it was something I felt very positive about doing. To find out more about becoming a corporate sponsor, email sponsorship at gpb.org. Iran's foreign minister insists his country does not want nuclear weapons. If we wanted to build a nuclear bomb, we would have have done it a long time ago. I'm Ari Shapiro. As Iran breaks limits set in the 2015 nuclear deal, we look at what's known about the country's nuclear capabilities this afternoon on All Things Considered from NPR News. Join us for All Things Considered this afternoon from 4 to 6 right here on GPB. You can listen live online at gpbnews.org. Mary Margaret Oliver, Heath Garrett, Greg Bluestein, and Professor Audrey Haynes. I introduce you last today uh, at this segment, Audrey, because I want to say how glad I am that your folks out in Athens who listen on WUGA can now hear you when you're on the show any number, any of the five days a week now that they're carrying is five days a week out there. So yes, we're very glad to. Yeah. <laughs> Greg Bluestein, uh, Kelly Leffler has been the talk of politics in Georgia for a long time. Now, we've spent a good amount of time talking about her this week. Uh, but let's let's focus first about, on what you observed. Um, 
as you went out there to see her in action trying to make an impact in the local communities of the state that she's visited so far? Genuine curiosity. Because the interesting thing about her rollout is because she didn't run a campaign. She she hasn't – she's not known in political circles. And that's why you saw so many elected officials say – Frankly, they hadn't they couldn't endorse her because they hadn't met her yet. And we're mm-hmm. talking about from state lawmakers up to to, you know, the lieutenant governor, like just up to the very top of of the, the, the you know, the political pyramid here. Um, so there was just big crowds of people. I was at uh, an event in Carrollton at the commission, uh, the county commission chair, chairwoman's house where there was just a big crowd of people just waiting in line, not even to hear her speak about policies, but just to kind of get a feel for who she is. Um, so I would say curiosity has is, is been dominating the, those events that she's going to. She was in Savannah. She was in South Georgia. She was in West Georgia out in Carrollton. Um, she had a few events in North Georgia mm. where she's just meeting with the grassroots folks. And, and these are important meetings because, you know, you might not recognize a lot of their names, but those are the folks that man the phone banks and knock on doors and, and you know, attend the, the, the morning breakfasts and, the, you know, kind of drive these campaigns. So feeling. those of us who have watched from a distance and read your reporting – uh, and we've said it on the show, have come to the conclusion that the jury, even in Republican circles, is still very much out on her. Is that truly your observation? Yeah, too? I, I surveyed, you know, 100 plus um, county official, county Republican officials. And, um, you know, the quotes got redundant. I couldn't use, you know, I, I can only use like five or 10 of them. But yeah, pretty much uh, m- the vast majority of them said, look, you know, she, I, I trust Governor Kemp, but I don't know who she is, and I need to see her in action. And this first week, we started to get a glimpse of of how she'll handle that job in the U.S. Senate. Heath? You know, like I've known Kelly for a long time. She's going to be a great senator. She's going to do a great job as a candidate, but it is new. And you are going from corporate America and being a businesswoman to a completely different stage. Uh, it's two completely different types of questions. Uh, obviously, and she has, I thought you used an important word. She has a curious mind. She's going to be a good listener. I think that what I judge by is what's not really necessarily happened on the Democratic side, right? The Democrats said they were waiting to see who it was. And we've been out here for six weeks now knowing who it is. We still have no opponent yet. There's still no African-American in either the primary or the special election yet on the Democratic side. I think this is a I think that Governor Kemp kind of stumped the Democratic Party a little bit here. And I think she's performing just like we would want her to getting out, meeting everybody. Voters want to touch and feel their elected officials still to this day in the modern era. And I think they're going to like her. She grew up on a farm in Illinois. Uh, she knows a lot about economics, a lot about agricultural economics. Uh, I think she's going to play well, and I like what I'm hearing from the field about her at this point. Mary Margaret, I saw you shaking your head, of course. And let me, let me, you can say whatever you want, but let me throw something your way and see if you want to react to it. Uh, she does have a great biography. There's no question about that. Authenticity is going to be crucial, uh, I think, to how she connects with people because. We don't know anything about what her politics have been in the past. She may be all of the things she's now saying she is. She may be pro-wall. She may be anti-abortion. She may be pro-Trump. She may be all of those things. But we don't really know that. And so look at it and say, is this the authentic Leffler or not? We don't know yet. In a modern campaign, you're only talking to your friends. That's what's so disappointing and and difficult from my perspective. She is an unknown with a very good resume, very attractive, successful person. But she's being escorted around to her friends, to the base, to the Republican loyalists. Well, I'm not sure they're her friends yet, are they, Excuse me. She's been escorted <laughs> around to the Republican right, loyalists, the all of whom know Doug Collins as a very authentic person. Authenticity is very much a key. The other thing that the voters, and I don't mean the the choir members who are going to vote Republican, I mean real Georgians, you have to show that you're making an effort and that you've got some guts about it. Uh, And being escorted and put in protected rooms and not being asked anything that's tough is not an introduction that tells the voter that she'll meet her her resume. Well, obviously, though, that's going to change 
as she walks the halls of the U.S. Capitol, which she's going to have to do, and reporters start uh, bearing uh, down upon her. It'll be fascinating to hear. David how, Perdue see how that goes. has never had a town hall. Well, I get that. But and uh, Kelly Leffler, I'm guessing, because I'm not a political consultant <clears throat> that uh, knows everything and is successful at all this kind of stuff. I just see the modern campaign as one where people don't answer right. questions. So let me, let me, okay. Audrey, I have, one of the things I've proven on this show for like six years now is how often I am completely wrong about things, and I'm about to say one of them that I think you, some of you want to dispute. I know Greg Bluestein's been reporting frequently on Doug Collins. Yeah, maybe he's still interested. He's looking at it. He's making comments that seem to open the door most recently on Fox News. He suggested he's looking. I would be kind of flabbergasted, frankly. If Doug Collins decides that he is going to drive a stake into the heart of the Georgia Republican Party, many of whom will support him, but then he's got a Brian Kemp to deal with, he's got Kemp Havoc, I'm just finding that would be, to me, an incredibly bold move by Doug Collins. Yes, I almost feel like Greg should be the one who who addresses that. But it goes to risk. And and, and what we were talking about with um, Kelly Leffler also goes to risk. There's no reason for them to risk putting her out there right now. Um, she'll have she'll she needs that time to, you know, get her sea legs or her her Senate legs, so to speak. It takes a lot of effort with Doug Collins, too. Uh, what a lot of people forget is there are a lot of personal relationships that go on. And we are people and, you know, how he feels about being in the state. I mean, and, and then success. Like, you know, I mean, all those things come into the calculus. Keith, Greg, yeah. what, well, what, I do think is that, Collins yeah. really going to do this? I think that the president of the United States, the president of the United States, has created such an opening for one person. No other Republican, nobody for else Collins. could do it. It's for Collins. Oh, all right. right? That's true. By, by giving the president yeah. and, and Don Jr. has been out there on social media and Sean Hannity's referring to him as Senator Collins. At a certain point in time, if the president of the United States is is in pushing you into a race, yes. it becomes very all difficult. Right. And, and that's why. That's, that's a yes. really excellent the, point. The congressman told me he'll wait again he told me you know just the other day he'll wait until the impeachment process plays out however it plays out but you're right so far the the governor and and, and Kelly Leffler and, and her supporters have managed to kind of grind this to a stalemate over Trump yeah. Trump hasn't tweeted anything negative about her or 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 positive about about Doug Collins running for Senate at least he's treated positive things about Doug Collins but not about running for Senate and that's about as good as is they can get short of a, an outright endorsement well, but what does the, that do to the state party? Well, I mean, if you look at it, it, divides it, it, it could divide them. But at the same time, if you're if you're thinking you're going into a, a January 21 runoff anyway, which is what a lot of people just assume, yeah. because there'll be multiple candidates from both parties on the same special election battle ballot, even if Doug Collins get, doesn't uh, get in, there might be other Republicans running who might even even if they take two or three percent, it could f be yeah. enough to force you to run off. Then if you're Doug Collins and you could go into this thinking you only need about a quarter of the vote. To, to get to a runoff, you know, um, that it might not be. Audrey, uh, Audrey mentioned risk. That's an interesting word to me. Kelly Leffler is taking no risk. It's an unbelievable gift, opportunity, opportunity for her to participate at the highest level of politics in the United States of America with no risk. It's she a no Kemp risk. Mm -hmm. No financial yeah. risk for her, no Personal time. I mean, it's a, it's a no risk situation. Compare that to what average Georgians do every single day. They're they're risking just getting to work, and it's um, it's a fascinating thing. Will she come across with this good resume from the Midwest, which is legitimately a farming background? Uh, will she come across as authentic and identifying with the risk and the challenges that everyday Georgians does? Doug Collins, by contrast, I like him. You know, I, I, you know, isn't that right? I now, like him. Collins, sure as partisan as, as, as awful he's, as he's shown, been on TV, he's awful. shown. Well, he showed his partisanship for sure. You talk to the legislators like yourself, Democrats like everybody loved working with military Collins. background, yeah. uh, family. I Minister. mean, he, he's I'm an like, intelligent guy too. If you've yeah. had a conversation, he's an authentic. Yeah. Let's go back to that word, authentic person and Georgian. And Kelly will have a very interesting gift of an opportunity here 
to make a case. I think what's interesting, Bill, real quick on that is, is that, but every day that goes by and she does five more meetings around the state every day or gets to know somebody or gets to take votes that align her with the conservative Republican base and with Donald Trump. And then if he, if she gets to the point where she gets to vote to exonerate him, right, and then some of his argument goes away. So I think if we're going to hear from Doug Collins, I think we may hear before we get all the way into a trial and a jury vote um, in some way, shape, or form because the further it does allow her to ingratiate herself and take away some of his – and, uh, right. argument. And I, one other factor yeah, there, quick, too, and then I'll get he's a break pledged, she's pledged to send $20 million, so, yeah. and she's already spending that money. Yeah. So the further you get away from that or from a Democrat getting in the race, right. the more time she's got to spend to boost her name recognition, her policies, her platforms, reach out to voters, all that. All I can say is I just hope if when Doug decides it's re- he's, t- he's ready to announce one way or the other, I hope he slows down just enough so that we know whether he's saying he is in or he's not in. It's hard to keep up with him typing, isn't it? <laughs> Let's do this. Let's get our final break the show out of the way. And when we come back, let's talk a little bit about Georgians in presidential politics. You've been thinking about helping this station with a donation. Why not donate that extra car, truck, or RV you no longer need? It's easy. Pickup is free. It could be worth hundreds of dollars in support. And you could even get a tax deduction. Get the process started today. Give us a call to learn more about the advantages of donating a vehicle. And thanks very much for your support. Call 877-GPB-1-CAR or go to gpb.org slash cars. On the next Fresh Air, how the Trump and Kushner families immigrated to the U.S. and built their fortunes. We'll talk with Andrea Bernstein, author of the new book American Oligarchs, The Kushners, The Trumps, and the Marriage of Money and Power. She also co-hosts the podcast Trump, Inc., as in Trump Incorporated. Join us. Fresh Air is this afternoon at 3 right here on GPB. You can listen live online at gpbnews.org. Um, I, I said at the very top of this show that we'd uh, maybe duck, dip into uh, what's happened in Iran and impeachment a little bit. If, if it's okay with everybody on this panel, we've got a special panel tomorrow in which we're really going to get into a lot of the questions that were raised by the uh, uh, attack uh, that the president authorized um, that has has created uh, so many questions about the stability, instability of the Middle East right now. Scott Holcomb's going to be here. He's a Democratic state rep. But beyond that, he is he, he has tremendous credentials in uh, as a, a lawyer working on intelligence issues uh, in the military. Uh, he's coming in. Jackie Cushman will be here, who I think has quite a different perspective on all of this. Uh, and Dove Wilker of the American Jewish Committee is coming in as well. Talk about the Israeli side of how this is all developing and talk about uh, this spate of uh, anti-Semitic hate crimes that have many people in uh, Jewish communities around the world so uh, concerned right now. So if you all don't mind, let's not go down the rabbit hole of impeachment or Iran today. And with that in mind, Greg Bluestein, let's just talk for a couple minutes about presidential politics. Few things happening. Uh, you all reported in the jolt, I believe it was, where I first saw it, that Keisha Bottoms, mayor of Atlanta, is continuing her uh, vociferous support for Joe Biden. She's headed to Iowa, which will be voting in caucuses three weeks from Monday night. She'll be there over the weekend. Yeah, there, I, I think there's no high-profile Democrat who's played a more forceful role in backing a presidential candidate from Georgia, uh, in Georgia at least, um, than, than she has. And she went to Houston. Um, she's gone to Iowa. South Carolina. She's in South Carolina. So she's gone to Iowa before this. Um, and, and she's only one of many, many uh, local election elected officials who already um, – Taking these trips, going to New Hampshire, going to Iowa, trying to trying to help their their candidate of choice, it's really also a sign that that you know it's it's kind of put up or shut up time for for a lot of Democrats who have been on the sidelines. You're starting to see more endorsements um, in the presidential race because we're not that far away from March 24th now. Yeah, it's getting very close. What's in it for Mayor Bottoms to be this uh, aggressive in supporting Joe Biden, Mary Margaret? Uh, enhance her national profile, which mm. will help Atlanta. That's mm. good for Atlanta. It's mm-hmm. not. It's good for her, but Makes it's good sense. for Atlanta. Because uh, she wasn't as known, and um, I think it's she's doing a very positive, strong thing for 
uh, Georgia for herself. Georgia is at play, uh, and I think that she's thinking about Atlanta and about Georgia. It's also true that you you know that the the much of the Georgia leadership is pretty well on board with Biden keeping uh, a front runner status up till March 24th through S- South Carolina, and black voters are going to be loyal to him is the theory. And if he becomes the nominee, he will be looking for a VP uh, that we believe Georgia can be at play again. Um, Heath, it's interesting what Mary Margaret has just said. We talked about this a bit on yesterday's show. We always like to focus on Iowa, New Hampshire, South Carolina, Nevada, and then Super Tuesday, which is on March 3rd or 4th, whatever that, that – I right. forget the two, what that Tuesday is. In any case, increasingly – what is the date? Third. Third. March 3rd. In, increasingly, though – you're hearing consultants who say oh, this Democratic contest could go well beyond Super Tuesday. In fact, it may have turned out to be a brilliant stroke to put Georgia later in March if you're a Democrat. I think that it puts Georgia in a good position. It's, it's similar to why Brian Kemp wanted to break away from Super Tuesday a few years back and give us a little separation. I'm not sure it played out exactly right, but I think for the Democrats it will this year. I think that, that mayors – by and large, tend to be more pragmatic than they do partisan. I think she's very pragmatic. I think Joe Biden is the pragmatic candidate in the Democratic field. I think she is of more value to Joe Biden than she would be to some of the other candidates. And she has raised her national profile. Uh, And look, as as a Republican, the person I don't think we want to run against right nationally is Joe Biden. So I think she's put herself in a good position politically. I want to give her credit for that. Uh, And I do think that what's happening, I ran over, we're talking about it tomorrow, but uh, is actually making Joe Biden stock go up in the Democratic primary uh, as we speak because even Democratic voters are going to go back to wanting somebody with some foreign policy chops in a time like this. Audrey? So a little piece of political science, uh, really two things. One, if your state's competitive and there's a lot of activity, that's really going to help your economy. Right. So there'll be a lot of money spent here. Boy, the TV stations are oh, licking yeah. their yes, chops. Of course. <laughs> already spending here. Yes. Second point is if you are a state that helps a presidential candidate get over that that number they need to win those delegates, there is a very good payback for that. So, you know, Greg, I loved hear, hearing Heath acknowledge that Biden continues to be the guy who Republicans are most worried about as the nominee. Certainly President Trump in his campaign against Joe and Hunter Biden has made that clear over and over again. And it does seem to remain true. And no matter what kind of flubs he makes on the campaign trail, no matter the fact that he is outraised by, you know, other candidates, especially Bernie Sanders, but he stays on top of the polling in yeah, many they, states and nationally. They feel like he can he can play well in those battleground states in the Midwest, but also be competitive here in Georgia. Yeah. And the AJC poll that was out a few weeks ago showed that uh, of all the potential head-to-head Democrats against President Trump, he had the widest lead over President all Trump. All right. Um, uh, real quick, another point we should make. Uh, speaking of presidential candidates, we learned today that uh, Bloomberg, Michael Bloomberg, is coming to town on Friday for a Stacey Abrams conference, a fair fight action, I assume, uh, a conference. That's a big deal. He is amazing. He has already spent more than $100 million since getting into this race, and the needle is ticking up for him in polling. Yeah, he's starting to get some traction in the polls. This is his second visit to Georgia since he announced his campaign um, a few months ago, he also visited uh, um, Augusta and where he picked up the endorsement from the from the mayor there, Hardy Davis. But, yeah, he, he is looking to kind of make his stand in that Super Tuesday round of states and then compete in Georgia just a few weeks after. Mary Margaret, one of the things I think is interesting about uh, Bloomberg's TV campaign is um, there's a way in which there's a certain selflessness to it. I mean, yes, he promotes himself, but mostly what he does is undermines President Trump's message, which will work in favor of whatever Democrat should eventually win the nomination. There's a Mike, Is he good or bad for the Democratic Party? He's good for the Democratic Party. Okay. There's a Mike Bloomberg yard sign in, <laughs> around the corner from me. So, yeah. And only he wanna... put it there. He flew in on his private jet and put it there himself. That's the how much money he has. The only other presidential yard sign is Bernie Sanders, who was never taken down. I mean, it was never taken down. With so I'm amused by that. He... Bloomberg brings attention to the race. He brings the finance people to the race and opening their eyes, thinking more about this, you know, 
President Trump's allegation that the economy is what's going to get him elected, that's his theory, that look at you, all you need to do, as Fran Miller said this morning, all you need to do is look at your uh, retirement account and then you vote for Trump. Well, Bloomberg brings a lot of good discussion to that issue. And I'm grateful he's in the race. I'm grateful he's spending whatever portion of his hundreds of million dollars here in Georgia. Back to the economy. Yeah, and I was going to mention, too, um, of all the people out there, Bloomberg probably has some of the best data, and, and he is someone who would not enter a race if he didn't think he had a chance. He, I mean, they have really plotted this out. Strategically, it will be amazing for political scientists because it hasn't been done this way in the last 30 years. But there, have, there was a time when people did not run in every primary, and they were far more strategic about where they spent the money. And it is a different time now. It is a different time. Uh, so much of the train is different, and his commercials are amazing. It They're very interesting me. commercials. Yeah, very interesting. go ahead. You just say well, what you want to. I, I think it's important. Bloomberg coming here is a, a couple of different interesting points. First, he has the money to do something unique that no other candidate would have the opportunity to do, which is pick and choose and drive name recognition without having been in the race for years and out doing the kind of grassroots thing. I think, number two, it's interesting that he's coming to Atlanta for Fair Fight, which could create an implied endorsement of Stacey Abrams, which I'm sure she would probably you know, fight against herself. But that is her organization. And the reason he's coming is because he was the single largest donor. Five million dollars. To mm-hmm. Fair Fight. And I think we need to you need to tie all that money together. This yeah, is a great example no. of how it's not just what he's spending on television. It's all the nonprofit contributions he's been giving to these organizations across the country for years. Mm-hmm. But that's funny you mentioned that because when I was reporting the story out, I was I was I was you know, elbowed, sort of nudged to, 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 as a reminder that he is being invited to this because he is that large contributor, not because he is – Stacey Abrams is endorsing Michael Bloomberg. She's in an interesting spot here too because she's being talked about as a potential running mate to any of these leading contenders. But particularly Biden. Yeah, and she doesn't want to be seen as uh, you know, throwing her lot behind Bloomberg. One other comment of it. It ties into the data and the, the Stacey Abrams. He has said uh, in his – mayor years that he has used his foundation, his personal money to test out social service programs. He has a lot of information based on what has used his personal wealth on homelessness, on health care issues. That makes him also an interesting candidate. You know what, Greg, here's something I find fascinating, and you'll relate to this. The difference uh, in the way that the local media sees a candidate, unelected official, and the way the national media reports on that person is often quite different. When you talk to local New York reporters about Michael Bloomberg and when he first got into this race, there was a lot of scorn thrown at him. Oh, my God, Michael Bloomberg, he couldn't. Here's how bad he was as a candidate, this and that. And yet he's got the attention of the national press beyond those New York locals who saw him in action in that Arena. And yet, even though he struggled in that in that mayor the mayoral race, his first mayoral race, um, he still won. Yeah, so, that's exactly you know, he expands right. the discussion. He yeah. expands the issues. He, I'm going to give I, you the last. I, word. I can't let it go without saying that it looks like the Democratic Party has become the party of big money <laughs> <laughs> with Michael Bloomberg coming to town. You know Except what? If Donald Trump heard you suggest that a Democrat Bloomberg in this race has more money than he does, you'd be run out of the Republican Party. Right? He makes <laughs> There's, cool. a right. There's a tweet coming. There's a tweet coming. Watch out. That's it. Uh, We're completely out of time. Uh, Heath Garrett, Mary Margaret Oliver, Audrey Haynes, Greg Bluestein, thanks for being with us today. Thanks to all of you out there. We're back tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Yes, Thursday with another Political Rewind. See you all then. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts.